Mona Speaks is a fundamentalist Christian church. Founder and pastor, Carl Stevens. He intimidates you from the pulpit. Don't you say a sentence, not a sentence, not a line. Don't presume or you'll die. How much did you give? Oh, about seven million. If all the messages of Pastor Stephen, I was guaranteed that angels would come every time I preach. That's the truth. It's just lie after lie. They're trying to divide us from each other, but they're not going to do it as long as I'm pastor, because I know how to handle them, because I'm God's man. So welcome back to Children of Grace podcast. This is Alita. And Karen, hi. Hey. Yes, I'm here with Karen. <laughs> um, and we have special guests back. We're very excited to have Dan and Jamie back on our podcast. Hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we do just want to do our normal disclaimer. Um, if you're listening to this, we do highly encourage you to take care of your own mental health as you're listening to stories that may relate to things you've been through um, or that things that might be triggering for you. Please take care. Um, when you are listening, just a quick little trigger warning for child abuse, violence, and death of a pet. And I do want to point out, too, we actually are recording this um, a few weeks after we recorded our first interview with Dana Jamie. Um, so in the meantime, we released the episode about the location of South Berwick, um, which is something that we actually re talked about with Dana Jamie in part one. But they had a little more info um, relating to a situation Karen had brought up in the South Berg podcast um, relating to Chuck. Um, so, Jamie, I was actually going to ask you about that. You said that there was some connection there with your family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan's better at figuring out what dates we're talking about. But there was a summer where mom was working um, at a nursing home and third shift. And so she would come home every day and, you know, kind of wave at us as we were going our, you know, out to the woods or whatever. And then she would grab a blanket and then she would go sleep for the day um, out in the fields, you know, out there by the, the big square tank thingy. Um, square and, hill, we called it. Yeah, square hill. Are you talking about the water tower? Yep. I mean, it's not a tower. It's, it's this block on top of the hill. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she'd go out there and and sleep in the sun, um, because unlike the rest of us, I mean, we're all Dutch uh, by extraction, but you know, she got the skin that tans. Whereas, you know, I, I, Dan, I can't speak for you, but I turned pink and white. Those are my two colors. So it was a running joke between her and this guy Chuck, yeah. was her friend who was becoming more than a friend slowly. That um, she had a better tan than he did, even though. His is built in. Well, to some extent, yeah. Um, uh, Chuck, I talked to him years later, uh, and he said, well, you know, um, I'm part Indian, I'm part black. There's more Indian than anything. And, you know, he, it was one of those um, uh, melting pot situations, and he didn't really bother tracking down the details. But definitely, um, you know, the Dutch girl should have been pink. And instead, she was she was quite dark. Anyway, I I mentioned that to say that they were, you know, that's not the kind of joking conversation that you would necessarily run into at the Bible Speaks unless uh -huh. you were really close friends. Uh -huh. And they were. And um, 
they were engaged to be married this whole one summer. And um, I remember looking forward to Chuck becoming my stepfather because, um, as I might have mentioned, he has he had a horse. And I was horse crazy like so many girls at that age. And, um, you know, he was very careful about having me around the horse. And he said, well, that, that horse has more muscles in its neck than you have in your whole body, and you're never going to ride it. And um, and I appreciate looking back that he was looking out for me because that was a big stallion. <laughs> um, but, you know, he would garden with mom out behind Scarborough. They had a, like a community garden kind of situation. And he would hang out with her while she slept and while she was just doing stuff. And I don't remember when they got engaged, but I do remember mom sewing her wedding dress and, and you know, getting ready to be Mrs. Gray. And then what Chuck told me years later is, I mean, first of all, at the time, mom just, I don't remember exactly, said something like, oh, I'm not going to marry him after all, and we don't need to talk about it. Something to that effect. And um, years later, I happened across Chuck um, on social media, and we chatted back and forth for quite a while. Uh, and he said that from his perspective, he was already, you know, he had rented the suit and the whole bit. And um, they were within a week of the wedding. And all of a sudden, she came to him and said, I can't marry you. I'm sorry. Goodbye. And basically just, just backed off completely and from then on out did not instigate any kind of friendship or, or, or you know, interest or anything to him. So it seems as though, I mean, my read on that is that somebody that she considered an authority figure had told her that he wasn't the one for her or she should look elsewhere or, um, you know, whatever. Um, there are various theories from various of my sibs. But, um, yeah, uh, Chuck ended up meeting or marrying another woman, um, a Hispanic lady that I gather I'm supposed to know, but I can't really place her. And um, when I talked to him about five years ago, he was getting ready to leave the country. I think they were moving to Ecuador, maybe, um, because they were going to, they were both retired at that point, and sh they were going to set up a uh, a retreat center for clergy. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I don't remember a lot after the wedding, but I remember before they were, when they were still engaged, we hung out with Chuck all the time, and I was very positive uh, memories of him. Wow. Yeah. But the thing that you were talking about in your other podcast about um, um, about him and Mrs. Well, and and the the lady Francis. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> um, the lady who was also one of my elementary school teachers and one of Dan's, and the mother of a girl my age who was my best friend for when I lived in Scarborough. Pardon me, South Berwick. Yeah. Um. Kim was her name, and I'd, I'd love to find out what happened to her. I've tried. Nobody knows. But uh, anyway, Kim's mom and Chuck were apparently assigned to ride herd on the teenagers that were staying in Scarborough over the Christmas break because there were, there were basically two types of, of people who went to the Southern Maine Christian schools. And, you know... Victims. Yeah, the victims. And... Okay. 
Yeah, so one type would be, you know, like like me and Dan, where we really didn't have a choice and we were going and that was that because um, mom thought it was her duty to avail us of, what did they used to call it? The, the highest the highest form, form of education. education. That, that was it. It's more um, cult speak, but <laughs> so it was very important to our mother such that she worked a lot of jobs and almost never saw her kids that the best thing she could do for her kids was put them in that school with the unqualified teachers and so on. Anyway, that's that's the first group. The second group of kids were um, usually teenagers who had been thrown out of enough other schools that their parents were desperate. And they had been told that if they sent their kids to Southern Maine Christian schools, that maybe, you know, we could smack some Jesus into them or something. And they had a board with like holes drilled in it to improve the yeah. aerodynamics. We've, we've talked about that. Um, wow. Yeah. Board of Education. That's what it was called. I was told that it was a rubber slab left over from the shoe company in, in software. I remember seeing it and it was wood. I think it, it was originally a two by six. There might've been more than one. There might've been. Entirely possible. Yeah. They are that sick. But as I recall, every parent who was going to place a child in that school was required to sign a release saying that they, um, they agreed. punishment corporal punishment and they authorized the employees of the school to um to do so as they felt needful wow so that ended when there was one kid who showed up with a lot of bruises one day and they all said oh he went out in the woods and did this to himself to make us look bad well apparently it didn't end though because then charles gray got around oh, different kids Right, I'm saying it, but it couldn't have ended then because it ended up happening again, right? Or was that after? Well, I only know the Chuck Gray side of it. Okay. Uh, and I don't know when this other kid did that or, or uh, endured that. I There's just... a three-year window, and I want to say it was... I want to say it was the year I was in second grade rather than later. Okay, so that would... Maybe be... when I was third grade. I was at um, Scarborough. Say again? I said you were in second grade the... the... Yes, yeah, when the school just had moved to Scarborough. And this would have been later than that. So like this would have been more? 74, 75 school year. Yeah, okay. okay. Me. Well, 75, 76 was what I was thinking. Yeah. Made school like the other one. fall of 75, somewhere okay. in there. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Okay. And so, anyway, so so Chuck and, and, and Kim's mom mm -hmm. um, had been tasked to stay in the uh, at the Scarborough facility over the Christmas break. Because all those kids whose parents had sort of given up and, and, and sent them to, to that school because they didn't know what else to do. So all the, all the kids that were really good at getting in trouble, not the ones that are, were terrified like us, um, they were staying over the winter break because um, apparently they'd been told it wasn't reasonable for them to come home for one reason or another. So Chuck and Kim's mom were babysitting the teenagers that weren't allowed to go home. And... What Chuck said, and again, this is now we're we're talking at least second, maybe third hand, depending on yeah. right. So, uh, you know, please accept that disclaimer. But what I was told was that um, that two of the kids, male and female, um, I got out somehow. I mean, they you know crawled through a window or whatever. It was very easy to do. 
and went and spent a night elsewhere on the property. And there were plenty of options for that. And that it was discovered. Mm-hmm. And that um, Chuck and Kim's mom um, had a phone conference with the the, the pastors. Um, and that they were told by the higher-ups, take the hit for us. We'll make sure you come out all right on it. <gasps> no way. Yeah, they were told, plead guilty, do what you got to do to make it go away as quietly as possible, and we will take care of you afterwards. Okay. And, of course, they never did. No, of course they didn't. Mm-mm. I don't know why I'm surprised. Yeah. Me either. And that's why, he, you know, he had to register as a sex offender, which meant he couldn't have a, um, uh, what was it? He couldn't have a career in education. I mean, it really torpedoed him. Like one of the nicest, sanest guys there. Um, but he trusted them. And what made it a sexual offense? I thought you just beat him. Yeah, well, I don't maybe it was not a sexual offense, just a an offense against a child. Oh yeah, I mean it was a different time period too, Karen. There that's true, that's true. Maybe But yeah, but, you know, it for some reason it was part of what he had to plead guilty to to make it go away as he was instructed was that he would never work with children again. Jeez. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I wish I had found Chuck much earlier. Mm. Um, but clearly he's had a lot of time to, to ponder and meditate and, and forgive. Yeah. And, um, well, no, also, of course, this is, this is me talking to him by computer from another end of the country, you know. Yeah. You know, he said, time to mellow it out and he also it's not like i can watch his face when he's saying it yeah uh, we didn't we weren't zooming at that point but um you know my impression was always that you know he he uh he recognized that it was kind of stupid of him to trust but yeah. it's done and he ended up having a a, a good life with Fine. his wife and his children and grandchildren and you know it is what it is, and he was going to go on rather than be fixated on it. Good for him, then. Good. Yeah, that's very good for him, and that's really great to hear that he was able to work past that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I gather it wasn't that much long. It wasn't that long after the thing with my mom that he ended up getting married and moved somewhere else. And so, you know, he was he was there, and then he was pretty much gone as far as me and my brothers were concerned. So we, wow, you know, and, and that happened constantly in those days, um, in South Berwick, you know, somebody was going in the mission field or somebody was doing this or, you know, planting a new church or whatever, you know, it is, you know, Dan- it's like David, yeah. you know, he, he was there and then he got sent to, I think England and, and felt like he was hung out to dry with no resources there and never came back. There was. Again, another nice guy who I remember as a kid used to give me shoulder rides around the, you know, back of the campus. The one with the woodworking shop and the really big red dog. Yeah. Did you say a big Uh, red dog? Yeah, Irish setter. Um, Was it? It had to be like a a Bernard mix or something. Huh. No, I mean, it was interesting for me because as a six-year-old, he let me hang out in his wood shop while he was working. And it was like my first exposure to carpentry. It was and, nice. And yeah, it was. It was a little space. It was probably the, the size of that front room in our apartment. Um, it was bigger than that, but it was, was it? it was um it was cramped. 
You know, you weren't going to saw eight foot boards in there. No, I can't oh. understand how he did woodworking in there. It was he probably did. an eight by twelve or eight by or, or uh, ten by twelve building. And I remember there was the the closet in the corner where he'd open the closet door and the dog's food bag was in there. And she'd just stick her head in there and start eating. And he'd look at his watch and say, okay, five minutes. The bag says, feed as much as they'll eat in five minutes. Okay, that's enough. The door gets shut. My dog would die. Mine would too. I could tell you what my dog would put down in five minutes. Yeah, whole thing. The whole thing. Nobody Nobody would, would, I mean, she wouldn't die, but the dramatics would be just memorable. I'm sure. (laughs) But, um... Uh, Dan might remember one time when mom and dad split, dad first went to New York City and then he lived in Puerto Rico for a while and then he moved back to New York City. Anyway, um, those are definitely the places I just don't have the sequence perfectly. But one by the time he lived in New York City later on, he would come up to Maine for this is when people who were who got divorced were doing quality time with their kids. You know, it was this idea that you didn't have a lot of time, but what you did, you'd make it really count. Yep. So, um, you know, he took us riding ponies until one bucked our brother David off um, and then ran with him still in the stirrup. Oh, you're talking the horse. Yeah. I thought that was earlier, though. I thought that was Ashland. Could um, be wrong. I remember he took up for an airplane ride, and I remember... Exactly. Going over the South Berwick campus and seeing that dog. Exactly. That's the memory I'm going with. I was kind of leading up to it, but you you, you beat me to the punch. You saw the dog from the airplane? Yes. I thought big dog. We're a couple hundred feet up. I mean, yeah. Big dog. And and completely, you know, easygoing and friendly. And, you know, the worst they would do is drool on you. That's the little ones that'll leap at you. Yeah, well, I got them. When we lived there, we weren't allowed to have dogs or cats oh, no. on the property. No one else. I'm sure it was negotiated, and I don't know how. But it probably had so lot to do of... with the dog not coming inside the buildings. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, the dog was only out, out by the wood shop. And he did a lot of woodwork for, you know, retrofitting the building for for those tiny little apartments. And they left free really? labor, so. Wow. Yeah. I think he was paid. I don't think he was paid a whole lot. Oh, I see. And I think I think mom paid him. I I don't well, think. That... Yeah. Um. He 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 made the bunk beds that mom and I lived on, slept on. And um, I remember the other gentleman we were talking about walking into that back room, our bedroom, one time and saying, "Yeah, I got fifty cents a piece for turning those roundels on a on a um wheel to lathe them." Hmm. Um, so, you know, I think both of the, the woodworking guys went okay. somewhere, but I remember mom talking about, it seems like way too much now, given the era and stuff, but I remember her name and a price that she paid them and I'm sure she insisted on it. Um, and I'm sure she didn't have it and they worked something out, yeah. but then after they made our bunk bed, then they went and made the triple where Dan was in the middle and there was, um, I was on the bottom, bottom. Yeah, they were they were stacked like this. So underneath the middle bunk, there were drawers, and okay. each kid like two drawers or something. And then there was a flip down table on the end, and that was a place to study. <laughs> Except none of us yeah. did. 
And our there was a there was a rollout toy box on the far end as well. I forgot about which, that. Yeah. Which, considering how much room there was between the toy box and the closets that were on the the wall to the corridor outside. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, there wasn't much space there, but no. it was a oh. chair if you were going to sit at the desk and if the toy box was rolled in. Yep. So wow. Yeah. Yes, efficient use of space. But what my that's husband, a good way of putting it. Um, Rick would call it uh, uh, um, uh, mobile home technology. You know, Rick, who was raised in a mobile home, you know, it's like nice. Don't waste anything. Mm-hmm. No space is gone unchallenged. That's funny. Yeah, but um, and there was a time, and I don't remember his last name, but there was a kid that was in that first through fourth class of ours um and his first name of all things was danny remember he had curly blonde hair um some issues and a little sister who was deaf and for some reason they wanted him to stay on campus and attend the school and his sister was back with the parents somewhere else so on top of the three boys living in that tiny room they moved danny in on a cot and he lived with us for some time I'm going to say a couple of months ago. But as I said, he had, you know, I mean, if looking back, I have no idea and I should not diagnose because I'm not qualified for it. But looking back, I would say he had some, um, you know, neurodiversity kinds of things going on. Um, Which was not recognized in that era in Maine. No. By old school teachers. Constantly in trouble and constantly getting spanked. And he might have been Danny that they accused of. With the bruises. Um, I don't think so. It was a kid who was a year or two older. Okay. Well, I do remember one time when um, Kim's mom had just had enough, and she figured she had to be able to control the classroom, and she had the legal right to do it because everybody signed those papers. And so she called him up to the front and held him down, and then she invited every other kid in the class to bring up their rulers and spank him. Oh, no. What? I remember it clearly. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know whatever happened to Danny. Eventually, he moved out from our place. Yeah. But he was still around. I I saw him, like, at church maybe sometimes. Wow. Uh, But, yeah, I I remember I was very interested in him because he, he spoke ASL because he had a deaf sister. Oh, okay. And I, like that really got my attention. I kept, you know, I think there was a, a number of students uh, then and a little later who learned to fingerspell. And okay. then they sit there and fingerspell conversations in church where they could, <laughs> uh, except they weren't doing a full ASL. They were just, you know, A and, you know, B and C and, you know. It's a great and, way to educate yourselves. Yeah. yeah, well, it's not a great way to communicate. So a lot of the times they were just, you know, they'd lose track of what the other one is spelling and <laughs> we'll head and try to start over again. I'm sure it kept him, you know, out of trouble for quite a while. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. So had to do it down low, behind the seats. Oh, yeah. You had to have your friends sitting within, say, two or three chairs of you. Yeah. You know. Be That's seen. funny. Mm-hmm. That's funny. We used to when we when I was a teenager, we would all sit in like the front few rows, and we got really good at passing notes. Mm-hmm. Like we were right underneath the gaze of the pulpit, but we got pretty good at passing them around without getting caught. It might be the reason that you had to sit there. 
<laughs> I mean, I remember getting chewed out by the past because I wasn't a finger speller. I mean, I, I could still probably remember, you know, maybe 21, 22 letters. But um, I would uh, dissociate. And then I know Karen's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I had a long running story in my head that I would tell myself. And I'd sit there in the sermons and then I'd just sort of figure out what the next part of the story is and then the next part. And I would just keep going on my own little path through my brain until somebody played music. And then I'd, you know, oh, I've got to pay attention again. Dude, I got to the point where I could take notes on what they were saying, but I still had no idea what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just yep. checked out, but taking notes. Yep. I'm the same. Same. Because you get in trouble if you don't. Well, that's it. I remember one of the pastors jerked me aside later and said, you just, you have this look in your eye during church, like you have absolutely nothing, no idea what's going on, that you are just completely not here. Well, you know, and, I don't we wish. Didn't want to say, well, because I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> no, toward, yeah. toward the later time, uh, you know, when I was like junior high or, or early high school era, I remember... I rarely got dragged in on a Sunday morning, but you know, if if I was going to get dragged in, it was going to be an evening service. And I remember sitting up in the balcony in Lenox, and that's where I first started to twitch. And mm -hmm. and I would get, I would get, you know, these leg spasm spasm knee twitches mm -hmm. where I could not sit skill still, and it's it's restless leg. Mm -hmm. And it it is you know, our family. clearly there was a there's a it's mostly psychological, mm -hmm. and part of me was going I don't want to sit here. And sometimes I was able to get up and walk over to the fire escape and at least stand there where there was a little bit of cool air. I but about that. I know where you mean. No. But uh, yeah, that that whole disassociation. I'm trying to write a book now. I finally realized that that's actually a skill I could use if I channel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Lennox because that's kind of the where we left off. So you guys moved to Lennox and fall. Your mom followed. No, down there, uh, or, or how did exactly. that go? Um, we moved to a duplex in Lee, which is next. Okay, town over now. From... Part of the hotel next door. Yes, uh, it was this. Uh, this. I don't know was if it was a Queen Anne or, or something a little more modern, but you know it had the great big staircases and stuff. Uh -huh. and they had split it down the middle, and um, this adorable elderly couple lived on one side, um, like Romanian. He he basically didn't speak English. Yeah, she spoke with a heavy and accent. Not for her, he had a wonderful garden. It was extraordinary. Um, and he would um, a table as big as my desk was sitting, I realize you can't see my desk, but trust me, um, the table was sitting on our back porch. And when tomatoes would come into season, you know, like I said, little old guy, little old lady, extraordinary garden, and he had more tomatoes than any human can possibly consume. And so he'd leave them on the table on our back porch, and we would just come in and, and you know, eat them like apples. Oh, that's and, awesome. Oh, good. Oh, they are. I love fresh tomatoes. Yeah. And he, he grew green beans and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then Dan and Dawn, I'm not sure how this got negotiated, but they acquired a pet rabbit. Um, that was Easter, our first year there. And we, we had a cage for him 
underneath our back porch. There was like, That's you know, awesome. lattice and that surrounded the underneath the porch. And there was a little door we could get back in there and we kept him in there. Yep. And I would take him out to run in the yard and, um, Jamie's shaking her head because she didn't like him because, you know, if, if you know much about male rabbits, if they like you, they'll run a figure eight around your legs and then pee on you because they like you. God. But I tell you, I mean, there were, there were times that that rabbit was the only person in the household who was listening to me at all. Oh. <laughs> I get that. And I know that he was important to you. Um, it'll tell you something about our younger brother's sense of whimsy that the, the rabbit's name was Fuzzy Bun Bun. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. That's a horrible thought. But yeah, that rabbit would come halfway across the yard to bite me on the chin. He was a bite. Yeah. He would do the same where he would get up on his front paws and like sling his back end around while peeing so he could cover like almost 180 degrees. <laughs> That's a, That's a very talented buddy. Oh. I, I, I was not a fan. Yeah. I will say that Dad, who of course didn't live there and had never lived there and probably had to drive many hours to get there, um, took on the challenge of building a hutch underneath that porch for the rabbit. Well, that Dan and Don could have their rabbit. Ah. And then later on, when David moved down from Maine, Dad came again, and he was the one who built the extra, very illegal, um, bedroom basement that David lived in for a short time. It had a window that looked out at the furnace. Okay. Yeah, it didn't look, didn't look outside, but it let in some light from the rest of the basement. And, yeah, very illegal. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so but, how long were you guys in Lenox? Well, we were in Lee the area. Half of the school year. Okay. And then um, mom had been going for car rides with this guy, Jim, that she knew from um, from South Berwick. She met him at the dumpster in South Berwick. And my my aunt used to joke, that shows you what you find in the dumpster. And, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and she didn't, she, she didn't mean it necessarily kindly, but um, anyway. So mom had been taking rides with Jim and one day they came back from one of these car rides and they'd just gotten engaged. And Dan, you want to take it from here? You know that. Oh, I, I remember her asking us if she thought, if we thought it was a good idea and we didn't know him, but it's like, geez, mom, whatever makes you happy. And so they got married on somebody's porch in Pittsfield with one of the minor pastors officiating. And I remember like, Two days later, Jim saying something like, um, you've been very demanding of your mother and that's going to stop. Oh, no. Yeah. That that was, you know, how it went from there. Wow. And, um, you know, we we moved from that duplex uh, short term for a couple of three months. We moved to the Lee dorm, which was its oh, own. Wait, wait, wait. This is where the family got split up. Yes. Almost. Okay. Um, and you guys were teenagers still? Yeah, I was I was 13. I was like sixth grade, yeah, 11. Wow. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was when basically I was on my own from there out. Um, so David had just finally moved to, um, pardon me, Lee. And, you know, frankly, it had been really nice without him. 
I mean, we had a kitchen for the first time ever. I mean, since since I'd been in, I don't know, second grade. Um, I remember mom's roommate. Oh, I should tell you that that three bedroom yeah. uh, duplex, not only did it have three of mom's four kids in it, but she had a roommate also from the Bible Speaks. Two kids? Two twins. Yeah. Twin girls. They were quite young. They were uh, three, maybe. And the roommate was pregnant. And this was the, you know, pearl clutching part because she had gotten pregnant by a guy who was also Bible Speaks. And they were waiting for the baby to be born, and then they were going to be married and live happily ever after. But in the meantime, the pastors had decided that she needed to go to Lennox, and he needed to stay in Maine, and they needed to think about it. And what? Well, that was the deal. That she was, she was required to go away from the father of her child, um, so they could, I don't know, think about their sin or something. That's so backwards from what I would have expected them to do. Yeah. Oh, you'd think they'd rush it through instead. No, no, right? You'd think so, yeah. Well, that's certainly, yeah. But, well, if, you, it was, uh, if you're going to have some humanity, then don't expect it from them. But, yeah, that was well, punishment was she had to be here. Take in care of two little kids in well, duplex all these other kids and be pregnant at, by herself. Be pregnant. And she was somebody who approached, probably still is, somebody who approaches life with a lot of humor and a lot of joy. And, you know, she found her way through it. Wow. And, um, you know, her, her, her punishment is if there wasn't two people involved. Yeah, exactly. But so for the time that we were in that duplex, that David was with us. So, you know, the beatings continued. And um, I I remember, you know, getting dragged upstairs by a limb and I'm pounding on the wall which is the common wall between the two apartments, mm-hmm. you know, begging for help. And, you know, little tiny Mrs., you know, um, you know, coming over and going, stop, you know, which didn't help much. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just really glad she never had a heart attack on my watch. Oh, my word. Yeah. But, um, oh, and then when David came, it was. Him in the ba- basement. Bedroom, and he was in the basement. Yeah. That's nine people in a three-bedroom duplex. Yeah, and mom was going, well, she was she was selling Shackley vitamins, and she was working at a nursing home again, and she was, um, uh, what do you call it? Not the maitre, like a maitre d', um, a hostess. Okay. At a restaurant. At a restaurant. So she'd come running home at the end of the day and shower real quick and get a good dress on and, and do some makeup, and then go running back to town, because we didn't have a car at that point. Um, David had a car at one point. The, I used, uh, used to borrow a Volkswagen Beetle every once in a while. No, brother, right? David, our brother David okay. had a '69 Galaxy. Oh, that was later. That was when he graduated. Well, it was his last year in high school. Okay, yeah, but um, I learned to drive in that car. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so mom would borrow a Volkswagen Beetle every once in a while to say go to a laundromat or something with all of us. And so, um, uh, yeah, there would be, I don't know, Dan, you were always in the way back. I don't remember that. You know? I don't. What, what Volkswagen people, uh, would call a, the, um, the package. Bin. Yeah. You know, the, the, the extra bucket behind the back seat of a Volkswagen Beetle? Yeah. Yeah. That's where Dan rode it. Always. That's just. I guess. 
happened. I don't remember. The stuff we survived as kids in general. Dan, you used to look out the glass and go, you know, at people while we were... That does sound like me. Yeah. (laughs) But that only happened a few times because it wasn't wasn't her car, but that was the best we could do. Mm. And I... I mean, there was one point you came to me with a notebook that you had found where mom had been laying out her monthly accounting and it did not add up. Wow. Like, you know, here's, here's, you know, basic groceries, rent, bills, and it did not leave any extra for things like, you know, clothes. Yeah. And she was working three jobs and paying for tuition for four children. Wow. To a place that was happy to take her money. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. So then she married. So she gets married. Is that when you guys move out and split up? Um, and then at, when she married Jim, that was the thing. She came home and she said, well, I'm marrying Jim. Danny and Donnie, which is how we referred to them back in the day. I know. Danny and Donnie are moving boys. married people's dorm with me and Jim. Um, and then she told me I was going to the high school girls um, dorm. And David was going to the high school boys' dorm. And that was, uh, but for the year that the high school closed down, mm-hmm. that nine months of school year, I, I would, I lived with them then, but that was the last time I ever lived with them. Wow. So, and yeah. Wow. 13. The, 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 the child support that my dad paid my mom, yeah, sufficient for my room and board um, elsewhere. And so, whether that meant the dorm or, Later on, it meant I found a boarding situation that was a little more comfortable. Um, but I was basically, you know, on my own after that. So how old were you? So you guys, were you there when the church ended up leaving Lennox? No. No. Okay. No, so I was gone. You were gone. I can't. Yeah. I think, Dan, you were already in Connecticut by that point, weren't you? Yes. Um, okay. Uh, I'm high school class of 85. So when... I mean, the the first thing I want to say is that rabbit, there was one time that that uh, uh, there was somebody from church. I don't know who the guy was, but somehow Mama Jim thought it was important to make a good impression when okay. this guy came over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember telling and the guy had a son who was about a year younger than me. And I remember saying, yeah, he bites. I was going to say, he don't bit- put your finger in front of him. He bites. Mm-hmm. Within a week, the rabbit died of some sort of a respiratory infection. I had buried him, and they looked at me and said, you have to dig up your rabbit so that he can be sent to a state lab to see if he had any diseases that he could have given to the boy he bit. Dan was about 11. And I, I was a little more than that, maybe mm-hmm. 13 by that point, maybe even 14. But it was like... Younger, I think. You oh. want... No, I mean, I just buried my pet and you want me to dig him up so that that is a therapy animal almost although they wouldn't have known what that meant right right and um and then then um through a strange coincidence we had a a a neighbor where we went with dad uh who was my Massachusetts and we would spend weekends there she's my role model for a crazy homesteader uh, Chris down the road, and she was great. You know, I mean, she taught you how to make pie. Oh, she taught me how to make pie. I went down there one time and says, "You want to help me butcher this turkey?" Okay, sure. Here, take this two by four and hit him really hard. I come home splattered with blood and a grin on my face, going, 
I just, you know, it was a little weird, but I just helped her butcher this turkey. Well, she had a rabbit and we brought Fuzzy up to meet her rabbit. And that's how we ended up with what romance ensued. Yeah. We so we ended up with a um uh another rabbit who was the grandson of of our first one. And okay. and um I remember I was sitting in class in Lennox when somebody came in and told me something had torn the cage apart and killed him. Aww. And I remember, you know, again, it was one of those, well, what else am I going to do? You know, they're like, do you need to go anywhere? It's like, well, no. And I remember just sitting in the classroom quietly crying. <laughs> and um, uh, there was also... Uh, so this would have been somewhere around 82 or so. Okay. Um, um, I, 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 there was a point when, because, you know, every second week, weekend, we'd go with dad. And there was one time that we came home and mom was like, Jim's in a bad mood. Be quiet. And, you know, we tried our best to lay low. There was one point that, Don got balled out because he was bouncing a basketball in the driveway next to the basketball hoop during an afternoon when Jim was trying to sleep and, and things came to a head. There was an argument and that was the night that I had to crawl out my bedroom window, which was again, an illegal basement bedroom. So my bedroom windows was one of those hopper windows. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not staying here. I can't stay here. And I I grabbed as much, uh, you know, I had a sleeping bag in my closet and, and um, you know, I, I got out of there and there was a clearing in the woods still on the property where I was known to play at times. And I went up there and um, mom had, mom and I had previously agreed on another spot. And just the fact that we had to agree on this, of if anything weird happens, this is where I will camp. And I was not at that spot. I was at my other spot that yeah. I was normally at. And, you know, in the twilight, she came and, and found me and it's like, okay, he's got a sleeping bag. He's got something. But, you know, I woke up the next morning with frost on the, uh, one of those cheap vinyl rain ponchos that was, that and the sleeping bag is what I had. And I remember the, um, Again, somebody who could put pastor in front of his name, um, uh, John, uh, who who worked as an accountant for Jim, um, taking me to McDonald's to let me yap. And like, you know, that was the best, as much counseling as I was going to get. And I was a complete mess. In order to get back into the house, I had to apologize to Jim. And I was so wrecked by it that I used a, you know, an old shoebox type tape recorder and recorded my apology because I knew I was not going to be able to actually speak. And I just stood there again, quietly sobbing while the tape played this apology to this jerk. Well, that was the spring of, of 83. And Connecticut at that point mm -hmm. was, I was many hours away from Dan at that point. And, um, uh, a few weeks later, dad said to us that he was getting divorced again. And he had found a place where he was moving to, and we were invited. And that's how that's how I got out of there. Which means that it it was never about the church. It was about Jim. 
right and and mom and you know the the whole situation but it was never i was leaving the church right so you're just getting out of a bad situation right and i remember a kid coming up to me in the public high school and saying hey there's this christian youth fellowship do you want to join and i was like no i don't think i do and the reason that i said no was probably as much um uh, you're the wrong flavor of Christian because everybody was the wrong flavor of Christian. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that was enough to set me on uh, uh, a very slow path of self-examination and thinking about all of that. And that's how I got out. And then there was the um, summer after my freshman year of college, I had a, uh, I was wor- living in that same place where dad would take us, you know, the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a summer job at a lumber yard over the border into Vermont. And, you know, I'm still kind of weird, reclusive kid. And, you know, I'd go home, make my dinner, turn on the TV, and, oh, look, 60 Minutes is on. Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> I recognize that. Well, I recognize, <laughs> huh. And that, you know, that was that was the, the night it first ran. Oh, wow. So that was, thought. what, 87, 88, something like that? Uh, 86. Summer of 86, that would have okay. been. Um, so that's that's how I got out. Wow. And, Jamie, you were already in Connecticut at that point. So what what was in Connecticut that you went to? That's where, um, oh, okay, we need to back up. Uh, <laughs> Dan mentioned getting divorced again, our dad getting divorced again. Um, and that has happened more than more than twice. Uh-huh. Um, but his second wife, mom was the first wife. His second wife, Lynn, was. He was our stepmother. The well, rest of them are not our stepmother. Yeah, and I'm going to have to do this slow, but I'm going to have to do it, okay? Okay. All right. Um, Lynn was the mother I didn't have. Um, Lynn is, Lynn died about three years ago. Cancer. But um, Lynn was the hippie that dad started dating when he lived in Puerto Rico. And then, you know, they both came, they were both from Michigan. Um, but um, her mom, Grandma Ruth, um, said that, you know, Lynn said, well, I'm dating this guy. And it was like little by little, she'd say, and he's a little bit older than me. He's 12 years older. Um, and he, he has children. And, you know, at first it was one, well, maybe it was two, well, maybe three or so. And, you know, Grandma Ruth used to laugh later about how how Lynn kind of eased us into, you know, their family life. But, um, uh, yeah, she was a very special person and um, and my saving grace in a lot of ways. But um, the, you know, I graduated from high school in 82. Okay. And um, went to the University of Massachusetts because... I was expected to, you know, there was this theory that, you know, you've got a brain, you know how to use it. It would be a waste, just a waste if you didn't go to college right away. Yeah. In hindsight, uh, if if I had it to do over again, I would say, no, I'm not going to college because the rest of me is not ready for that. My yeah, I wasn't vegan. I mean, I, I was at UMass for a semester and a quarter. You had fun. I remember that. Well, I learned a lot of things. Yeah. I learned never to eat the fruit that's floating in the punch. Um, or always eat it. 
And I'm like, oh, no, no, sick as a dog. And in front of people, I didn't want to ah, fair. be pressed in that particular yeah. Um, I learned how to party. I um, I made some really good friends. Yeah. Uh, but I had I kind of sailed through high school. Yeah. And so I didn't think much of a sign of of signing up for um, um, honors calculus, which was a Monday morning seven a.m. class on the other side of campus, taught by video. Nice. Yeah, I didn't exactly set myself up to succeed with that one, and. Um, and then I also had honors chemistry, and um, I honestly could not understand um, the um, the teacher's aide was um, Asian, and I I couldn't I couldn't get her couldn't understand her, and so I was way behind in, in lab also because I was partying, but um, I I did the math and figured that if I aced and you know there's three sections to the course, and if I aced the quiz section and I aced the lecture season session just by showing up then i would i would manage to squeak by even if i did not manage the lab and i had forgotten to read the fine print that said you got to pass the lab to pass the course oh no oh no so i went from a 4.3 to a 0.96 in one semester wow yeah yeah it was it was memorable yeah i um, think so yeah can relate okay. <laughs> So, um, and another piece of that puzzle is after that fall semester, um, I had gone home to stay with dad and Lynn over the Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, they'd moved to opposite sides of the house and were going to get divorced. So, um, that threw me for a loop too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, college didn't work out first time around, not at all. And um, I quit college. I had this idea that I was going to join the military. I had the good sense to tell my father by phone from more than a state away, um, as opposed to in person. Um, but as it turned out, um, I am what they call in basic training a chunky chicken. This is the official term they use for recruits who are over the weight limit. And so um, they refused my enlistment uh, when I first tried. I had to lose I don't know, 30 pounds or something like that, um, before I could get off the Chunky Chicken program. That's progressive. Yeah, well, oh, better yet. They had a um, they had a ruler painted on the wall with, you know, like really fat marker. And that's how they decided how tall you were. And how tall you were decided your weight limit. And somehow, as soon as I got to basic training, I lost an inch. So, didn't help. But, I, so I, I, I did this kind of looking for direction thing for a couple of years in Hartford. I was a nanny for a while. I, um, I calculated um, life insurance policy fees for a while and um, just basically hung around and, and tried to figure out what normal meant. Yeah. A while. And that, by the way, is when I ran into the other young lady that we were talking about. Um, the one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I left the church basically when I was 16. I mean, when I was 16, I was on my own, except mom expected to see me every once in a while at church. That was was the expectation that she lay eyes on me every other week or so, at least. And um, so I was doing that at first, but there was a service one day and Stevens was up there just screaming away. And um, in the Barbara Stevens Memorial Chapel. 
and um the first barbara stevens yeah yeah we yeah. know yeah we knew what you meant the one that they do plays in now um but anyway so he was screaming away and it was something that he was talking about how if you had ever wanted to do something that was particularly sinful in his mind that you were going to hell so like if you'd ever even wanted to smoke a cigarette never mind if it had passed your lips but if you ever wanted to then you were going to hell because if you were really saved god would have taken that desire away from you now as you know i many years later did a deconstruction and a um sort of a reacquaintanceship with god and i love I'm an ordained pastor these days, although I have a uterus, so they wouldn't acknowledge that at that school. Oh, my God. But, you know, we don't, you can't lose your salvation. That's just not how it works. No. No, God doesn't work like that, even if Stevens does. And, And I realize that that is my belief system, and I don't require that everybody share it, but, um... But the idea that I could lose my salvation for a cigarette or a drink or an R-rated movie or a two-piece bathing suit, that was the one that got me. If if you girls had even thought about wearing a two-piece bathing suit and exposing your body like that and, 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 and you know. And, and, if I can say two uh, words, they're going to be Stevens. You think he'd like two-piece bathing suits with his track record? Yeah. I will tell you, so... The reason yeah. I left, my husband and I ended up leaving, yeah. was very similar. There was a sermon that the sermon was whatever. And then there was this addendum that happened after the sermon. And it initially started on the topic of dancing, but it moved into from dancing because dancing is apparently very sexual and, you know, whatever. And and doing it, it, right. moved, <laughs> it moved into um, sexual relations before marriage. And the statement was made, like, if you don't know any better, that's fine. There's forgiveness for you. But and now you know left. that. And then it was just left open-ended like that. And here I was sitting in the back with two little kids and my husband. And we had my first daughter before we got married. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I sat there thinking, so what are you saying? Like, my husband is fine, but I'm not because I knew better? Like, and that was the day we left and Tim looked at me and he said, I, I, you can do what you want. I'm not going to stop you, but I will never walk back into that place yeah. again because yeah. I don't believe for a second that there's no forgiveness for you. I, you know, mine was much more gut level. Um, as just, you know, the, when the bathing suit comment came out, it's like, you know, I'm done. And there was a guy that was in that service. I remember who stood up and stomped out right down the center aisle. Good. And and Brand. was just, you know, yelling at him specifically and, and about all the things that were going to happen to him that were bad. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, he just, he, he made one rather carefully controlled comment back and then he left. Yeah. And I was, I was like, oh, take me with you. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Can I do? I'm out. <laughs> I didn't have the guts to do it, especially since, you know, my mother was there and, you know, all the people who had watched me grow up and I was... For a long time afterwards, whether I was ready to admit it or not, I was still pretty scared about going to hell. Yeah. Yeah, they scared the a long time. time to process through that. They brainwash you your <laughs> whole childhood. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't just leave that thought behind. It's stuck well, with you yeah, for a while. You've taught, when you've been taught something your whole life, it takes yeah. a very long time to unlearn it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, 
yeah, I I didn't feel like I had the guts to stand up and walk out. Oh, you remember that? Guts, G-U-T. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I I I never walked back into any of their chapels or anything. I mean, the only other time I laid eyes on him was about three years later. I was living in Connecticut and I'd come up for the weekend. Um, and I was I was staying with mom in the house, you know, that Dan crawled out of, you know, but this was a little later than that. And um we were talking about how we'd structure, you know, we had this Saturday that we both had off, you know, we could spend it together or something. And um, oh, and I remember I just I was still recovering from a broken leg. So it was the school year after I turned 16. Um, but anyway, um, she had said something about a cafe that had just opened up in Lenox and and it was really cute and she really enjoyed it. And and so as we were talking about what should we do today, I said something like, Well, you said there was a new cafe. Why don't we get lunch there? And I, I should have known better because her face just, you know, bloomed with with delight and relief and thanks to God. Um, but she didn't say another word about why. And turned, you got it. And it was in the basement of Shermerhorn and it was another rap. Except on oh, no. That's stupid. Sorry. Yeah. That's not cool. Well, but I was prepared to be polite. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scott back, ate the stupid sandwich um, and was ready to go. But of course, Stevens was preaching. So that took a while. Three hours later. Mm. Yeah. Well, when it finally started to break up, I started beelining for the door and mom got me by the arm and said, oh, just come over here. I want you to say hi to pastor. Um, you know, because there was, you know, probably over 200 pastors there, but there's only one pastor. Yes. And I mean, and she had me. It was yeah. like either I wrestle my mother to the ground in front of all her friends. Or I go say hi. Or I go say hi to pastor. So, um, you know, I walked over and did the bare minimum and then walked out. And, that, and then was pretty harsh with my mother afterwards about it. I would. Don't you ever. And don't you, you know, so on. I had one of those conversations years later. Uh, I was living in Portland, Oregon. We had gone out to um, uh, Multnomah Falls, which, you know, is in is, Oregon, right? Yeah. Well, I lived in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And Multnomah uh, Falls is, is not that far out. And um, uh, we uh, we went out there and uh, she had an orange working about our sister. And she was like peeling the orange and throwing the peels off the side of the trail. Now, this is a world known site with many visitors and right. i don't care if you think that this is biodegradable this is rude mm -hmm. this is is placing your whim over social norms and it triggered me and we had a conversation that was just you know and this would have been behavior that was absolutely modeled by her father yeah yeah uh yeah absolutely his own understanding of what he preferred to think social norms would be absolutely overruled anything else and so she had to remember i mean she got to the point where she was sobbing and i'm just furious because i am venting not this incident 
right. my entire life yep. at this point. All of the things where she has said, well, you don't matter. These people around me, they don't matter. I'm just going to throw my orange peel down because they don't matter. And this is what I'm going to do. And like, I realized that that was what? She was like five, wasn't she? No. No, she was early teens. Oh, they have no brain at that age anyway. Working <laughs> <laughs> about our sister. Yeah. Yeah, yep. no. Okay. She, she she had a brain. She knew enough mm -hmm. to know that, that she really didn't want to be in the backseat of the car right now. But I'm sorry, that's where she was. And I have apologized to her since then, repeatedly. And she has accepted it. But a lovely adult now. She is. And and it's it's since mom died, I've been able to have conversations with her that I never would have with mom still around. But, you know, mom's whole thing was, oh, will you forgive me? It's like, you know, that's the whole thing that they did. Yeah, it was like, all about, I'm pitiful, give me grace. Yes. Not, I'm going to stop this behavior. No. Right. No. Clearly I'm just the way I am. Are you going to forgive me? Oh my God. And um, yeah, that was no another step on the road to me cutting off contact with her. It wasn't the final step, but it was certainly there. Yep. It you know, is it really sad how many families have been torn apart mm -hmm. over time yeah. because of this kind of thing. Yeah. Part of mine, um, um, not being able to be in contact with her, it just it flat out wasn't healthy. And part of the reason for that was my daughter turned 13. And all of a sudden, all the things that had happened when I was 13 that I hadn't really processed, I just kind of put away. Uh -huh. You know, I was looking at my own kid going, how could anyone? And, you know, I, um, the language that immediately comes to mind is is not family safe. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that was a huge thing. Um, and then, well, that's enough for now. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You guys, I really, I know, I, I'm sure I can speak for Karen too. We really appreciate that you guys have come on and you've shared so much of your stories and, um, and the things you've learned with us. And I think it's been, I know it's been helpful for us, um, not just at putting the pieces together, but it's been really great to meet other people mm -hmm. who've been through similar things within the same organizational structure and who get it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that the audience is going to find that very, very helpful too. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, oh, uh, before we started recording, you were talking about how a cradle that had belonged to one family and then you and presumably some of your sisters slept in it. Yeah. And just kept getting passed down. Which, I mean, that's kind of a neat thing in community. You know what I mean? Absolutely. In some communities. <laughs> I mean, listen, my kids all had hand-me-down stuff too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But we genuinely yeah. appreciate having you guys on and the feedback that yeah. you send us really, truly, it means a lot. Um, so thank you. Thank You're you welcome. very much for coming. Thank you for having us. Share. It's of been, um, I mean, I've had, I've had a couple things happen to me this year where um, I had a, I had a car breakdown uh, last June that oddly, uh, when the tow truck dragged me off the turnpike, it dropped me in South Lee or in Lee. And I'm like, wow, here I am again. I don't know anyone here. Right. And, and luckily my, the, uh, the, my host where I was headed the other side of Albany came and fetched me. Oh, wow. Um, but it was, uh, 
uh, it was the start of a a lot of self-examination of of you know why would I drive that truck there and and also about accepting help because one of the things that I know about myself is I have trouble accepting help because help that's been offered has often not been helpful in yeah. my in my younger years. Or comes the price tag. It yeah. comes with a price tag. Yeah. And um uh that situation where where someone who I basically had just met said, here, take my car and drive 10 hours home, and then we'll figure out how to get my car back later. Wow. Yeah, but she's oh. a she, isn't she a wonderful person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, so, and this too is, you know, examining some of those, those things mm-hmm. that it may, it, it puts me on a path to understanding myself better. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Sure. Started. Yeah. Really. It is. It is. It's very cathartic. And I Actually, think I started to mention before that the, um, the, the duplex that we lived in with the, the garden next door and all that, um, after, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Cute Little Persons, um, apparently passed away as we all do, uh, that building was acquired by the motel next door and it was broken into motel rooms. Ah. And oh, on different occasions, I slept in the couple's kitchen, in the room that was now the couple's kitchen. I slept in our kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> weird. And um, and because it's Lennox, it was it was crazy expensive. But um, I was, and I got to take a wander through the property that once had been the high school I attended. Wow. And when my husband was with me, at first I wanted to see if I could find it because it's all overgrown stuff now. It's not real obvious from the road. But when I found it, and those buildings in the back that that were our classrooms um there was a roof coming down in one spot and you know they're basically just being left to molder and yeah. i realized not that, worth fixing well the thing is that you know i'm usually somebody who wants to try and save things or try and protect. yeah me too yeah especially architecture and um and i i looked at my husband and said you know any other place i think that was a real shame but yeah. I let it go there's too much weight on this place. It needs to go. And it was, again, really cathartic for me to be there. My husband was bored out of gourd. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a good time to mention, too. We bring up a lot of places that still exist, including churches, but they aren't the same churches and the same people that were there when we were there. So just if you're not from this area, keep that in mind when you look at these places now. They are different than they were then. Right. Or at least there's for, for a good chunk of them. Um, yeah, not all of them, but most. Those are stories, too, that will tell as we continue telling the history, um, because there is yeah. a lot left to tell. Um, but yeah, to just be careful not to judge the past stories that we're delving into with what might be in the current situation. Absolutely. Apparently, Alita and I both used the window seats at that same little library. That was me. Oh, 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 okay. it's Karen. Yeah. yeah, I love that seat. That was the best. Me too. You mean in the back building at South Berwick? The library. Yeah. 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 That library. That one. Yeah, it's gone now. But it was a haven. Yeah. I love that library. No, I had a I had a spot where I'd hide in the back of the chapel. <laughs> was it in that little closet? Yep. There yeah. were like three co- closets there, and there was a spot there that that I would hide in. Yep. It was a really big tree, kind of 
behind where the cafeteria was. Mm-hmm. And I'd climb that tree and sit in the branches and read for hours. Ah. Oh, nice. I knew what you got. That's the gazebo. That's so funny. Yes. The tree by the gazebo. We used to climb that. I used to do the same thing. Yeah. It's sitting in- yeah nobody can see you there. You can just sort of pretend you're not there. Wow. But the association thing again. <laughs> well, well, this seems like a good place to end. Thank you guys again so much. And, you know, certainly let us know if you have more stories to tell because we'd love to hear them. And as always, guys, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's uh, children of grace underscore podcast. You can also email us at children of grace podcast at gmail.com. And as Alita said, we super appreciate you listening. Feel free to uh, write and review, share with your friends, whatever you want to do. We appreciate it. So thanks again. And we'll see you in two weeks for another podcast episode. Bye. Bye.